inaugural episode of Outsports' new podcast, Five Rings to Rule Them All. This is Sid Ziegler, and every week I'm going to be bringing you a new episode of the podcast talking with LGBTQ Olympians, Paralympians, and people in and around the Olympics. Why did I decide to focus on the Olympics in our new weekly podcast? Well, a couple of main reasons. One, I've been in love with the Olympics since I was a kid. Growing up in small town Massachusetts and beating most people I went up against in a race, I had big Olympic dreams. I want to be just like Florence Griffith Joyner with the funky outfits and the crazy fingernails. Problem was, I wasn't as fast as Florence Griffith Joyner once I got out of small town Massachusetts. Uh, while my Olympic dreams faded quickly, my love of the Olympics never did. Uh, now, the other reason that I wanted to focus on the Olympics is that there's a really strong interest in the Olympics in the LGBTQ community. At Outsports, we've seen it from really the first few years that we started the website, that during the Olympics, there's just an increased interest amongst our readers in the games and the athletes who are competing. So that's why I wanted to focus on the Olympics in this podcast. And uh, the other little tidbit is, is where the name came from. And if, you, if the name looks familiar, you know that it's taken from the Lord of the Rings, uh, which was another one of my interests as a kid. Uh, but I also thought that the title was fitting because the Olympics really do rule sports. In the United States, certainly the NFL is king, but worldwide, the sports world comes to a stop every two years when there's an Olympics. And for two weeks, everyone watches the best of the best to go up against the best of the best all around the world. Uh, and we gather around TV sets and it dominates the world news for a couple of weeks. So the Olympics, to me, really do rule the world of sports. Uh, ruling the Winter Olympics a couple of years ago was my first guest, Adam Rippon. I first met Adam, gosh, in a couple of years ago at Outsports Pride in Denver. He was uh, he knew one of the people that I was staying with, Olympian John Fennell. And from the first moment I met Adam, uh, he was funny and very gracious. Um, and he is as advertised. Every time I've talked to him, he has been just a super nice guy. And it's been wonderful to watch his, watch his, his career and watch him have such great success. He has a new book out called Beautiful on the Outside. It is a memoir of his life. It goes pretty much from childhood up till about the present. In the book, he talks about crushes, he talks about sex, and yes, he talks about that big tussle with Mike Pence around the Olympics a couple years ago. I did not talk to him about Mike Pence, but I got to talk to him for the podcast about his struggles coming out which, you know, some people think, oh, it must be so easy for a figure skater to be gay. Well, we talk about why being a figure skater and being gay actually adds different complications. We talked about behind the scenes at the Olympics, everyone's favorite fast food at the Olympics, and why he was not on Grinder at the 2018 Games. So without further ado, I want to take you to my interview of a couple weeks ago with Olympian and author of Beautiful on the Outside, 
Adam Rippon. Joining me now is Adam Rippon, figure skater, uh, Olympic medalist, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, author. Adam, I, I know that you probably have. I, well, it's true, right? You, you're just adding all of the all of the different pieces of who Adam Rippon is. Truly, I'm just trying to like come up with as many things and just see what sticks. So, author is what we're trying right now. Don't 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 go the Tanya Harding route to a boxer. I would stay away from boxer if I were you. Yeah, well, I I skipped attempted murderer, so I think I'm fine. <laughs> uh, Adam, uh, you know, I I I got an advanced copy of your uh, book coming out in the middle of October. Beautiful on the outside. I looked on Amazon and I see that it is literally of all the figure skating books, and that's one of the categories that they put it under on Amazon. It is literally ranked first, second, and third right now, and it's not even out yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm, I have nothing to say to that, but you know what? As long as we're getting all of the medals, then I have nothing to complain about. So that's fine. You're good. Gold, silver, and Amazon bronze already. Uh, well, but I, I mean, here we are. I, I, I read the book and, and really enjoyed it. And one of the marks of a great book like this is just how quickly us, I, I don't love to read, and I flew through this book. And, and you can, it's almost like I can hear you uh, narrating the book as I'm reading it. Was that kind of your intention in, 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 in writing it? Um, totally. You know, I don't consider myself a writer, uh, but I do consider myself somebody who can tell a story. So it was really important to me that like the way it was written was more me having a conversation and me and the reader being on a couch, me telling these stories rather than it feeling like a book. I wanted it to feel like, you know, like we're talking right now. I wanted it to feel very um, like I was sitting right next to you. Well, it really did. You get a real sense of, of your voice and who you are in the book. And in, instead of trying to go through, the book really talks a lot about your childhood and, and obviously uh, into where you started to become a public figure. There are really two or three specific parts of the book I really wanted to dig into with you. And, and one is kind of a theme that we've talked about on Outsports for years. Uh, this, this idea of the fear and fear of coming out. And, and one of the things, I'm going to read uh, a, a part of uh, a chapter um, about the intimate history of a three-day boyfriend. It's really your coming out story. And you write mm -hmm. in it, the one, the one thing I didn't want was to be gay. My family was always accepting of gay people. I knew gay people growing up, and I certainly worked with some in figure skating, but I always thought, that's not me. It just can't be me. I can't be this thing that people made fun of me for when I was little. And, and we talk so much about how to improve society and change sports and make sports less homophobic, and that will make it easier to come out. But so often we hear from athletes that, it has nothing to do with sports and it really has to do with the culture they grew up in and just this stuff. Like you can throw as much support as you want at kids and they'll still have these fears of coming out. So that reading that from you really resonated with my experience. Well, I have a theory that these fears, especially with athletes, 
um, and male athletes coming out are um, deep rooted in misogyny, where if you are gay, you might be considered feminine. And being feminine is considered being weaker than masculine. And so you might be perceived weaker by your competitors or um, it's a whole, it's a very loaded thing of coming out when you're an athlete, because I think when you come out in your normal life, you can really, um, you can have this more so an attitude of take it or leave it. This is who I am. And this is what I'm about. But as an athlete, sometimes your destiny is in the hands of what other people think of you. It literally is. It's not like, you know, especially in a judged sport or in a sport where you have teammates, you know, maybe they're not going to, they won't think of you the same. And that's the fear. Um, I think what you see with a lot of athletes, um, especially now, and I think for the better is when they do come out, like it doesn't affect who they are. And I think you can look to, um, you know, other people, especially I, I like uh, little Nas X who came out and it's just so interesting because he, his personality has so been himself and it really hasn't changed. And, and um, I think it's so important to break down those barriers that, you know, being gay or be, or um, identifying in, in some sort of um, different way, it doesn't make you any less than, and when you embrace those differences, it's really, really when you can come into your own. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of that passage that I just read, you're talking about, um, I just can't be this thing that I've been teased about. It's this idea that, um, well, I'm, I'm, a am a guy and I'm figure skating and I've been teased forever that I must be gay and, oh my God, here I am. And it's true. And, and you'd think that, oh, well, you're a figure skater is so easy to be gay in that world. And it's something that I hear from, um, women basketball players that the last thing that they wanted to do was fit into the stereotype of the lesbian playing basketball. And it puts this weird, different kind of pressure to not just to stay closeted, but to just not be gay or lesbian. Well, it puts this pressure that like, if you are what the stereotype is, you're going to scare away other people from this thing that you love, that you think everybody should be able to do, but you're exactly what you think is stopping other people from doing it. And here you are, you think that you won't be that thing and you just come to terms with it and you're like, I know I'm exactly what I thought I wasn't going to be. And you can see that there is, I think in skating, it's gotten much better, but there was this internalized homophobia where they weren't going to, you know, you were not gonna be the poster child uh, if you were the gay one. They would really do everything that they could to, you know, when there was a uh, up and coming male skater at the top who was, you know, was straight and had a girlfriend and stuff like that was more of the, I think, all around image that would want to be pushed. That being said, like, you know, if you showed up for a competition, what had to be done was done. Like you did well, they had to reward you. That's, um, you know, like skaters like Johnny Weir, that's, you know, he was very much himself, but like when he was winning his national titles, there was nobody better. So there was no choice. Um, but it is, it is difficult. You don't want to be that status quo. But I think what I've seen with a lot of out athletes is that it can be such, a, it just turns into a fun fact. And I feel like that's the goal. 
that you can share this part of you, but it's something that has nothing to do with your sport, nothing to do with you as an athlete or nothing to do with you as a person. It's just a fact. Later, later on in that, that same chapter, you, you talk about coming out to your dad and, and, and the, the, the fear, um, you know, and, and, and him kind of allaying your fears, but, but, but he expressed to you and I'll, I'll read right from your book. He told me that being gay can be a hard life and that he loved me very much. I knew where he was coming from, and this is the part that really got me, but it couldn't be harder than knowing you were gay and keeping it inside. And, and it's, you know, with all of these fears about stereotypes and, 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 and it's so difficult sometimes to convince someone that he, he, your life is going to just be better. You're going to be happier if you just are who you are. How do you yeah. how do you share that with people who talk to you about their fears of coming out or just being who they are? Well, to those people, I would ask, how many times a day do you adjust the way that you act in public? How many times a day do you look around and and think about if people know what you know? Um, how many times a day do you like look around and you think that every time you try to pursue um, a girl that you know somehow this girl I'm speaking at, from the point of view as a gay man that this girl is gonna know she's gonna know something's up. All of that energy that you've spent into putting up this mask so that people will think of you in the way that you think is is higher. It, you are spending so much energy where you could be spending that energy on, um, you know, your passion, on um, putting that energy into your friendships, um, into finding other relationships. And, you know, I, I am so guilty of the same thing of like spending so much energy basically acting like I was somebody else that I didn't even realize I was doing it because it just became such a normal um, integrated part of my life of um, always being on alert of how people may perceive me. And, and you kind of talk about in, in the book how your mom kind of, she really did not want you to tell anybody else. She, she, she thought that it was going to be in, in, in your own best interest career-wise to kind of keep this quiet. Right. And it was never like, don't tell your family or let's not tell, you know, the neighbors. My mom could not care any less or, or love me any more than she already did. And it was nothing in regards to like me as a person. But what my mom didn't want, you know, my mom was a, a dancer growing up and um, she had a lot of really close friends of hers um, die in the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, her, her really good friends aren't, aren't here anymore. She saw what they went through and she saw the way they were discriminated against. And my mom, you know, it, 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 it's such a slim chance to go to the Olympics that all the stars need to be aligned. And my mom didn't want this to be the one thing that stopped me, even if I was good enough. And I think my mom was scared of that. But I had already missed out on making the team twice before. But I, I realized that, like, if I never went to the Olympics and this was the thing that, you know, really pushed it over was like, this was the reason I don't go, then so be it. I never was supposed to go anyway. Um, it just felt something like I had to do because when I was watching all of these coming out stories of other people, 
they changed my world. And I felt like I owed it to the people who shared their, their stories and the people who look to um, find other people's coming out stories that I owed it to share my own. Even at the time, my audience was small. It was not the world. It was like a sliver of the skating world, which is, you know, a micro pocket inside the athletic world, which is another smaller pocket inside like what the big whole world is. Well, it, it's, and you talk about your relationship with your mother throughout the book, and it really is one of the most powerful parts of the book, and it really spans, you know, a number of chapters. It's one of the, one of the main storylines. I don't want to get into it anymore, because I want people to go buy a Beautiful on the Outside at Amazon. Yeah, because I need to be number else. one, two, three, and four on the <laughs> figure skating Amazon bestseller. <laughs> Barnes and Noble, here you come. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, so I want to just skip ahead, and 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 the other part that I I really want to talk about, since this is an Olympic focused podcast, is the Olympics, and and you know you you dive a lot into um, kind of the behind the scenes of the whole Mike Pence thing. I really don't want to talk about that. I'm sure you don't either. Um, but a couple of things that I wanted to ask you about, you know, you talk about uh, Gus Kenworthy and meeting him and hang out with him. Do you do the gay athletes hang out together like you know Eric Radford and Yorick Hendricks and 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 other Olympians when you're at the Olympics do do the gays find each other or is your social life within your sport just totally separate from your sexual orientation Um you know what you're you're um I I think that um you know I grew up with so many different kinds of people that they've known me and known everything, uh, like uh, so many things about me for so long that me being gay was such an uninteresting part to them of who I am. And I, you know, I was with my friends the whole time, but I will say that like, there was something different about Gus because I feel like we were both getting a lot of uh, the same kind of attention. Um, And the first time I did meet Gus, it felt like, you know, the, there was something really special there and it's like a friendship I really feel like I'll have for like the rest of my life you know we don't talk every day but when we do we kind of pick up where we left off and when we met for the first time at the Olympics it felt the same way that it was like an old friend like he he feels like honestly a brother to me and um I I think that there is a sense of like you find other people who you have things in common with and obviously being gay is one of those things and with in regards to the skaters of course we've known each other for years but um you know it's so uh i think you connect with so many different kinds of people that it's sometimes yes sometimes no so it's it's not really a thing where you you seek each other out it's like okay well yeah you're gay We'll get a drink or we'll say hello, but it's not, you don't really seek each other out. Not not really, because like, you know, it is funny that like, uh, you know, you go to the Olympics and it's this whole Team USA, but you really do find that like within your own sport, you kind of hang out within your own sport because those are the people you know. And I think that, you know, I, I will say that, you know, Gus and I, we probably never would have met had we not been both out athletes. So in a way, yes, we did seek each other out because we knew about the other. We knew our stories. And on some level, we felt like we had known 
what the other had been through. And it felt like we should definitely meet. Well, and, and when I got to spend the afternoon with you, when I interviewed you guys for Out Magazine a couple of years ago, it, it was obvious from the moment I walked through the door that you two has some special thing. Like you just seem like besties, like lifelong besties. And, and it, was, it was really neat to see you playful with each other and finishing each other's sentences. It was like, are these two not dating? Like, are they just, yeah. it was so, it was so adorable. You know, it's so funny that like, um, I just like what Gus, Gus really feels like, I feel like an older brother when I'm around Gus. Um, and I, we just really are super connected by this like one experience that we got to share together, which was the Olympics. And um, I'm so lucky for it because, you know, we're two, we're super different in so many different ways. But like at the end of the day, there is just this like, we really care for, for each other. And we go out of our way to like, when we, um, you know, have a new person in our life to like, I really want Gus to meet this person. And I don't know, there's just that pull towards each other that like, it does have a sense of family. And we'll be right back with more from Olympian Adam Rabone. And we're back with Adam Rabone. The other thing I want to talk about is, um, is just kind of just general life at the Olympics. So much is put into, you know, the competition and obviously everyone was talking about your performance on the ice, but you dig into some fun little facts uh, in the book about just kind of life and uh, with the athletes and, 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 and the condoms that are or are not readily available. Uh, just give me a couple little tidbits of, of, of life outside of, you know, you're done with your competition. What do you do with the next week of your life hanging around the Olympics? Well, there's some options. One, there's, there's McDonald's there. So that was a big factor in what a lot of people <laughs> did with their lives. Um, and then I would say like another big thing is that you can actually go and watch a lot of these sports and that you've never watched before and cheer on Team USA athletes. Um, in my case, it was really, I had this one week to just do as much press as I absolutely could. Like anybody who asked for five seconds you know, I made myself available because this just felt like a once in a lifetime sort of like moment for me that I needed to take advantage of. Like when I said, you know, when I told myself I was getting ready for the Olympics, I told myself I would give it like I would have the best experience. And for me, that meant talking to everybody, connecting with everyone, being in the best shape of my life. And so, you know, I kept myself super busy in that one week after. But like for a lot of athletes, the first time you can actually you know, get out of your competition routine and actually connect with your fellow teammates. Were you already prepared for that second week of just heavy media attention? Because uh, I mean, obviously people were talking about you uh, ahead of the Olympics, but it, it, it seemed like after that unbelievable uh, team performance of yours that the interest exploded. Were, were, were you going there ready for that media attention or was it more than you were expecting? 
Um, I enjoyed the media attention and I told myself that if I did enjoy it, nobody would ask me any other question if I didn't perform and if I didn't like compete well, because, you know, when, as an Olympian, that's your job is to like represent your country and be as amazing as possible. So if I didn't do my job, I knew it would be all over and nobody would care. And it would be like, why did we send this clown to the Olympics? So I put a lot of pressure on myself to, so that if so that as a reward for being so like ready that if I knew that if I did this I would perform well and that I would get to do all of this. So it wasn't like um, am I ready for this media after? It all felt like this is the reward of doing well and that you wanted to do this and this is because you focused on the right things when you were going there. Uh, well. I, again, I encourage everybody to buy Beautiful on the Outside, uh, Adam Rippon's memoir, to write a memoir uh, at, at, at Adam's age is uh, special. Um, but there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful stuff in here. And he'll tell you about his one night at the check house, uh, which you'll have to check right. out. No, I don't know Bellamy models involved, I don't believe. <laughs> I know. Uh, I was wondering if they were going to just leave it out like that. Well, I was like, yeah. You could break news here, Adam. If there are Bellamy models involved at the checkhouse, please, you could, you could let us know right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. There are. So I, I really well, am so sorry. Which, okay, well, here's the, well, so I guess one last question about life, life uh, after the competition. Were you on Grindr? Were you on, were you looking to, to date? Were you looking to find other gay guys just for some fun? So I I wasn't on Grinder because I was already talking but had never met the guy that I'm dating now, JP. And because um, we had matched on Tinder months earlier. And of course, like when we first matched, I never thought anything of it. But we had already been talking for like four months four or five months at that point when I was at the Olympics. So even though we weren't exclusive or never had met, I just felt like, I felt like I had, was already kind of had somebody. So I wasn't looking for anything. Um, I know. So boring. <laughs> well, I hope you put your bag full of Olympic condoms to good use when you, when, when you finally met up. Uh, right. <laughs> all right. Adam Rippon, right. Oh, five for two. But the two two questions I asked everybody. Sorry, real quick. Number one, growing up, your favorite, most inspiring Olympian. Oh, um, my favorite, most inspiring Olympian. Let me think. Um, I think probably Michelle Kwan. Have you told her that? Yes, I have, and I don't get starstruck. But Michelle Kwan is still the one person who, like, I can feel my heart skip a beat every time I know I'm going to run into her. Oh. Uh, question number two, and I warned you that I was going to ask, so I'm curious if you have anything to say. The podcast is named after the Lord of the Rings, the, 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 the books by J.R. Tolkien, which is, was a fascination of mine as a kid. Do you have any interest or knowledge of of Lord of the Rings to, to say who your favorite character is? 
Oh, Sid, baby, you know, I wish I did. I wish I was as <laughs> helpful as you thought I was going to be. And I, here we go. Fail. All right. Well, I'm going to say, uh, I won't even, I, I won't put uh, a character's name in your mouth. All right. Well, Adam, again, Adam Riffon, thank you for joining us. Everybody, go buy Beautiful on the Outside. It's worth the read. And and Adam, good luck with it. I, I hope you get that, that fourth place Amazon finish to go with your three medals. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Sid. I always have uh, a great time chatting with you. So thanks for having me on. So there you have it. Go check out Adam Rippon's Beautiful on the Outside. You can get it on Amazon or just about anywhere books are sold. Uh, and thanks for listening to my first episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. We'll be coming back to you weekly with conversations with Olympians and aspiring athletes, uh, different people who cover the Olympics, and everybody in between. So until then, have a great week.